You're listening to The Happiness Hub, part of the Redshift Community Podcast Network with me, Liz Parkin. And me, Kedron Elliott. Every episode, we'll share top tips on how to get happy and stay happy. So listen in, get involved and be happy. Hello, welcome to The Happiness Hub. We are still doing our wellness program, our six weeks happy, happy, and we are approaching week five now. So the six weeks have really whizzed by. Our participants have been taking part in new habits, which actually uh, this week's uh, theme feeds into quite nicely uh, because you might be looking at some new habits around your diet and your food, but also your exercises as well. So, uh, yeah, new habits have been incorporated and Ben gave them some quite momentous tasks, I would say, to do last week. So we've been asking people to cut down on their social media, um, limit the amount of time they spend on news, getting outside for 20 minutes, which kind of feeds into the physical kind of aspect of helping boost your mood as well. And a few other things to help with your well-being. So we'll be catching up with them on Sunday to find out how they've all gone. So this week, we're going to be talking about food and exercise. And actually, I've been putting some stuff together today for the blog and the website and, and the video for our Happy Happy. And I'm actually thinking it's quite a big, big subject, both of them. Um, so what we're going to be doing today is just talking about the food and nutrition aspect. I've invited a previous podcast guest on again to our virtual studio this time on Zoom. So we've got Janie nutritionist that's joining us so hello Janie how are you? Hi Kedron I'm good thank you hi everybody who might be listening to this at a later stage. (laughs) So we're recording on a Thursday night we usually record our uh, podcast on a Thursday and they usually go live on a Sunday and we've been doing some quite late ones with with Ben who's been running a happy happy with us Uh, but Janie you've you've been on before and it was a pleasure to have you on when we could actually meet in the studio. Um, I know Zoom's a little bit new to you or you haven't used it very much you're getting on okay with it? I think so, but I'm I'm past 50, Kedron, so technology sometimes evades me. But yes, I have Zoom installed on my phone and I pressed it and I seem to be talking to you. So hopefully something's going well. (laughs) Yeah, it seems to be working so far. I mean, like, I don't think you're the only one that struggles. Uh, Technology is great when it works, but then when it doesn't, you know, sometimes we become quite stuck because we become... We've become so reliant on it, but thank God for Zoom because I don't think we'd be talking now if it wasn't for it. And and lots of people have been connecting during the, the lockdown. How are you getting on with lockdown yourself at the moment, Jenny? How's this third one been for you? Well, actually, when it happened initially, I was meant to be taking over an integrated health practice. Oh yes, in the church, Healing Time, which was a great a great sort of centre for good health. We had many practitioners there as well, um, and the shop was very successful in its own right but unfortunately without the practitioners rooms it wasn't feasible as a business so we advised not to go ahead and but I obviously need to work so interestingly I got a job in a care home kitchen and absolutely loved it because the food was great and it was quite interesting to see how theory translates into actual practice it's fine coming up with these all these wonderful theories of how you feed the elderly Mm-hmm. But in reality, it's actually quite difficult and hard, particularly in trying to make some of the food when it's it's literally mush, for want of a better word. Mm-hmm. Um, so from there on, I went into other things and I've been working full time. I've got to say, I think the third lockdown, even though I've maintained work and I've been going out and still seeing people, it 
has started it really was starting to get to me yeah and I think it, it probably is everybody and I also found myself becoming quite accepting of hunkering in if you like um and becoming in the evenings a little bit antisocial yeah <laughs> which I guess you know I've been talking to a few people and young people as well and they've said oh no I'm I don't you know I just quite like this um Covid living, if you like, and I just thought, well, that's not a good sign, is it? Really, you don't want to get used to being isolated. You know, social social skills are very, very important. Yeah, especially especially for the younger generation. Because, Absolutely, yeah. You know, I've got a, um, a, st- a stepdaughter who's seventeen. She's missed out quite a lot with school and things, and that's when you start kind of finding your feet, don't you, with yeah. social circles and stuff. And I suppose it's been different for everybody because some people who are naturally antisocial, a bit like my other half, he, he doesn't mind getting not being able to go out so much and socialise with other people. Um, and I suppose it's different for everyone, but it is finding the right balance, isn't it? And yeah. thinking about what it's going to look like when we actually are allowed to socialize freely I mean I, th- I think it's going to be a while and there's still always going to be a few restrictions that we'll need to heed to but yeah it's a, it's a funny one isn't it I think a lot of people like you said just felt a bit more fed up with the third time around first time yeah. was a bit of a novelty and this time around you're like oh flipping neck I just want to be able to go out and see my friends without having to think about distancing and how many we can meet meet up with and this that and the other yeah I also think certainly from my perspective people have become, or some people have become more aware of their health Mm -hmm. and their immune system. Um, I heard of quite an interesting fact that I think is true, and certainly there's been mention of it in the press, and that is that if you had COVID and you were hospitalised, they immediately gave you vitamin D. Mm -hmm. Now, vitamin D, there's a big link with lack of vitamin D and depression, but... Um, also in your immune system and this is all relatively new as in years not decades this knowledge and I again vitamin d is made you produce it sunlight and of course in the winter nobody was getting really getting out because it was too cold and I think people are a little bit more aware about their health and I know I can't remember what the percentage is but the percentage of supplement sales has actually increased since covid Hmm, that's interesting. I was actually reading yeah. about vitamin D today because um, I do get some supplements from Janie since she came on the, the podcast before. Um, we were talking about different things and some of the ailments that I have. And vitamin D is something that they recommend for people with MS, which I've recently been diagnosed with. Um, but yeah, also you can get it from mushrooms, I read earlier. Yes. Would that be right? Would yeah. you have to eat a shed load of mushrooms? Though? I mean, I eat a lot of mushrooms, but would you need to eat a lot of them to get a good dosage of it? To be perfectly frank, Kedron, I'm not sure, and it depends how much vitamin D they've got in, mm. in absorbed. But my understanding is, you know, you don't have to eat umpteen punnets of them. Um, I mean, I sort of do have mushrooms every day because I like them. Um, but that's something I can look into, actually, how many, but also it will depend on the type of mushroom, et cetera, yeah. et cetera. That's what I read so, on the, the certain type of mushrooms. Some mushrooms have more vitamin D than others, but I, yeah, I eat mushrooms most days. So that's where I get a lot of mine from, I think. Yeah. And in the summer, messages, try and get outdoors and take some clothes off. Yeah. <laughs> yeah. Not all of them, though. <laughs> yeah. Yeah. Definitely not all of them. Not in my case, anyway. We were talking about this last week in the in a new habits uh, uh, program, a, a theme for last week, 
and Ben was talking very much about like the the benefits of getting outside and, and not even having to do an activity just being outside getting some sunlight and he talked also about grounding and about yeah. you could get extra hippie points if you took your shoes off and walked through yes. the grass and how yeah. that's has been proven to be really good for certain things yeah. well it's funny because I can remember I mean many many years ago I had quite um uh, to me it was quite severe I wasn't hospitalized mental breakdown and my mum was big into horticulture she lived down in the Cotswolds and that was her business okay. and I went to stay with her and she said um to me that, that her best advice was to go outside and dig some earth and that's basically it's grounding and I've noticed myself now, um, and I think probably, again, since lockdown, I try and get outside every opportunity when I'm not working. I think it's really important. And it, it, it does, it grounds you if you're lucky enough to have a garden or whatever, mm-hmm. or a simple walk. But yes, again, well, do you remember in Pretty Woman, going completely off a tangent, when she takes Richard Gere's shoes off in the park yeah. and makes her walk, walk around the airport? <laughs> yeah. Obviously, you needed a bit of grounding. <laughs> I never thought of refer- uh, referencing it to Pretty Woman, but um, yeah, yeah. Now that you mentioned it, I do remember that. Um, so yes, we are going off on a little bit of tangent, but I just wanted to talk to you a little bit about how you were and how things have been uh, since we last spoke. And um, you've very kindly uh, come back on to talk to us a little bit about uh, nutrition, because that's what you are, a nutritionist. And particularly on on this episode to talk about like the link between, you know, your gut and your brain and all that kind of the research and evidence that's coming out at the moment. So let's start off with that. then. why is why is it important and and kind of how are they linked? Well, um, basically, Hippocrates, which was a famous Greek physician, Um, He he was considered to be the father of all Western medicine. He Mm. once said that all disease begins in the gut. And it's only, again, probably in the last decade that there has been a huge realisation of the importance of the gut and maintaining optimum gut health. I mean, what a lot of people won't know is that an unhealthy gut does contribute to hundreds of diseases such as obesity, diabetes, neurodegenerative disease, autoimmune conditions, um, autism, rheumatoid arthritis, and importantly for what we're talking about, depression and fatigue. And when you're talking about the gut, the two, there's two sort of important aspects. One is the gut barrier and the other is gut flora. Mm-hmm. Now the gut barrier is what it says. It's the barrier that decides what to come in and what to stay out. And one of the most vital jobs of the gut barrier is that's where you absorb a lot of the nutrients. So if you've got damage to your gut lining, you're not going to get maximum absorption, but also you can get a condition called leaky gut. Oh, yes. So things leak through, literally. For instance, gliadine, which is found in gluten, which is found in a lot of wheat products, can irritate the gut, and that can cause the gut junctions to open and things to escape through and that can be when you get lots of different dysbiosis uh if you get i'm not saying everybody who gets bloating cramping flatulence pain have got a leaky gut but there is a link with dysbiosis and mental health right um the other aspect that's important for gut is the gut flora, which contains, we now know it contains 
trillions of what we call good bacteria. It also has bad bacteria. And what can feed bad bacteria is things like refined sugars, etc., which unfortunately the majority of the Western diet is now processed foods and refined foods, which have got very little nutrients in them. Um, and they are antagonistic to the gut and they're very inflammatory, which is, I suppose, one reason why it makes sense to start looking at your what you're putting in your body and how your gut is functioning. I mean, I know personally <laughs> the uh, the um, link between your brain and your gut because I, I'm always thinking about food. And that's just the way that my brain works. Um, but I've also I've heard about like the gut as being like being referred to as the second brain. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Well, your brain, basically, you've got your br gut brain axis, which is the term for the communication network that connects your gut and your brain together, which, let's face it, are two massive organs. Mm. And neurons in your brain tell your body how to behave. And you've got 100 billion neurons in your brain. And then the gut contains 500 million neurons which are connected to your brain by something called the vagus nerve. Mm -hmm. um, and th through the vagus nerve, you get, which obviously connects the gut and the brain, you've got nerves that can travel in both directions. Um, for instance, it was found in an animal study that stress inhibits the signal sent through the vagus nerve and can cause gastrointestinal problems at the same time. So that's showing there's a definite link between the gut and the brain. Mm -hmm. Now, interestingly, when the mice were fed probiotics, it reduced their anxiety in their bodies. But as soon as you cut the vagus nerve, which try not to think about the mice with their little vagus nerves all being cut, mm -hmm. that no longer had any effect. Mm -hmm. So that sort of proves that there is a definite link between emotions and signals going from your gut to brain and vice versa. Yeah, I mean, I mean, absolutely. I mean, even when you're feeling stressed, I mean, stress can affect people physically as well. So I know that if I'm stressed, most people being a similar consultant previously before would say if they're stressed, maybe they'll overeat or if they're sad that they'll overeat or if they're bored, they'll overeat. Or if I'm really, really stressed and I have to be really, really stressed, I just lose my appetite. So there's definitely a kind of connection there, isn't there? Yeah. And also when you um, if you're stressed, you're your gut basically shuts down. It's not priority. Mm -hmm. um, and again, cortisol levels can go up, which again can cause inflammation. And all of these things lead to not very, well, can lead to long-term infections, long-term stress. And unfortunately, because so many of us are on medication and drugs, prolonged antibiotic use, a poor diet often high in refined and processed foods this can help develop the long-term infections and long-term stress mm -hmm. so we've really it's very important to start looking after our gut and how to restore it to good health um one of the things i mean you're on as i know kedrin you're on medication aren't you mm -hmm. and have you noticed if that affects your gut at all well, um, I've recently started taking some medication. I don't, well, this is the thing. I don't know whether it has actually uh, affected my gut, but I know that some of the supplements and some of the things that I've been looking at for the blog have helped my gut. So 
and without going into too much information um you know I was having some digestive issues but by doing a bit of research and talking to you and thank thanks to you because it's something that's been ongoing for a long time taking things like magnesium you've talked to me about that and how that helps with the gut flora and the the what do, what do they call it the villi is it in the villi some people might pronounce it villi I'm not sure but I think it's villi um, so taking that and the primrose oil that you recommended as well uh, but also I have been getting out quite regularly recently for like runs and I yeah. know that even just doing physical exercise helps your body process things but also um, talking to an- another lady who we were doing the anti-inflammatory diet she talked about the fact that antibiotics can really like devastate your microbiome as well oh completely trash it I think at the moment over the last few years they've reduced the amount of antibiotics they give you or they give one because at one point antibiotics were being given for everything regardless of what they did in my opinion and yes it can destroy your microbiome so if you've been poorly and you take antibiotics and your microbiome is trashed then guess what? You're probably going to get poorly again because you won't be absorbing all the nutrients and vitamins that hopefully you'll be eating in your lovely fresh food and your your immune system will go down and you'll get sick again. So there is actually some probiotics and I'm not on a sales pitch here. Please don't think that. It's just to try and help. But there are a range of probiotics that people can take if you have had antibiotics. I think you should take them for a week and it helps to restore your the good bacteria basically that is stripped once once you start taking antibiotics would were, were there would like things like fermented food i suppose we're going to get into that like what what kind of what kind of things could we eat that would help with our gut bacteria and and our mood as well fermented food just popped up because of like you talked about probiotics or are they prebiotics i'm not quite sure which one is which okay prebiotics are basically non-digestible carbohydrates For people who don't know, carbohydrates are basically starch. Think bread, think pasta, think potatoes. Mm. Um, And then there's complex carbs, which are basically what prebiotic food is. They're complex carbs um, and they encourage the growth of gut friendly microorganisms. Um, They're basically the fertilizers that help the grass grow. So things like sweet potatoes to a point, artichoke, celery. The indigestible fibre, asparagus has got indigestible fibre, so they pass through your small intestine and obviously go towards um, what the the body doesn't use is then formed into a stool, which also helps eliminate any toxins, etc. And the body needs prebiotic food. Probiotics are basically the seeds that you scatter on the lawn to keep it lush and complete with the weeds. They're friendly live bacteria which sounds awful the thought of eating bacteria but they're friendly and they've always been in our bodies and because we now eat more and more processed food they've got less and less Mm. Um, they're found naturally in fermented foods like sauerkrauts kefir yogurts um, and they work in variety of ways along all the digestive tract and they boost the healthy microbes and drive down the number of harmful ones Um, there was a study somewhere Uh, over I think it was one to two months can improve anxiety depression autism OCD and memory and then I think there was another study done with 40 patients with depression that were administered probiotics I think it was for eight weeks Mm -hmm. 
And at the end of that period, the patients who'd received the probiotics all had decreased depression levels, whereas the ones that were just on a placebo, no difference. And I thought that was quite, quite interesting. Yeah. There is a big link with prebiotic and probiotic food and the importance of those to, to help your gut get healthier. Mm-hmm. So for some people who are listening and they're like, oh, I don't really want to have to eat sauerkraut or... Or, or some of the things that you mentioned there, what what kind of things, you know, what would be good for them, like little changes they can make to their diet? What kind of foods should they be eating? And, and also what kind of foods should you avoid be eating if, if that's not going to help you with your mood? Unfortunately, the probiotic foods are the ones I've mentioned. But what I would say, I mean, I'm not a big fan of sauerkraut. You can now get from supermarkets, you can get various brands of kefir and yogurts, with live bacteria Mm -hmm. that are quite pleasant to take i'm not a big fan of kefir but there are some really nice flavors out there where which they're organic so they haven't got nasty preservatives and colorings and all the rest of it in so they're quite accessible or you could take i do think it's quite important to take a probiotic but one thing i would like to say is that it's all well and good looking after your digestion and putting it giving it prebiotic foods and probiotic foods but if you're not when you eat if you're not producing the digestive enzymes then it's not going to have the right effect okay so the most important thing to mention at the start of food is a chew your food really well because that's when the digestive process begins and that's when you start to break the food down this is something you've mentioned to me, isn't yeah. it, about my diet? And I, and I don't mind saying this on here, but I do like my food and I do inhale my food. And that's one of the things that you said <laughs> to me to do that I've struggled with in, in terms of, you know, taking the time and chewing it. But reading about some stuff today, um, it's about making the time to have your meal as well and not reading it on, on the run. Because not only, you know, you talked about the enzymes to be able to digest that food, but it's also letting your brain know that you're getting food. Absolutely. If you're doing it and not thinking about it. Then your brain's going, hang on a minute. Have I had lunch? I'm still hungry. Yeah. What else can we eat? Yeah. I mean, I was listening to a couple of um, seminars about dysbiosis. Um, dysbiosis is basically digestion that is not comfortable it covers a multitude of sins Mm -hmm. and it was a fellow therapist and she said that she'd realized um, from treating many clients with various gastro problems and throwing all sorts of things at it but realizing that by doing that often wasn't the answer if you don't start you've got to go back to the basics and get the top part of your digestion right first before you start addressing the bottom half with the good bacteria and bad bacteria. Hence, she was giving her clients sim- the first, first week or months even advice was, I want you to build up to chewing your food 50 times because A, that practices mindful eating and B, it starts the digestion process. Mm-hmm. Now, I appreciate that's difficult, but even if you did it 10 times or at least more, more times than inhaling it. Absolutely. <laughs> I mean, I've got a friend who literally shovels food in. Most people are st- only a quarter of the way through their meal and he's finished. Mm-hmm. And that is so bad for you. And also, if you're eating that quickly, your body doesn't really appreciate when it's full. 
chewing your food properly and slowing down and practice a bit of mindful eating and enjoying your food might help some people lose weight because I'll suddenly realize, oh, actually, I'm starting to feel a bit full. Whereas when you're shoveling it down, you don't realize you're full until it's probably too late and you're too full and stuffed. I was speaking to to Ben about this last week because, and we we talked about it early before we started recording, is that, you know, you can't make people do these. And these are quite, we say, you know, big changes that people are making to the way that they eat because you, you know, you've been eating since you were born and you learn to cook as soon as you could, you you know, you could cook. So it's, it's habits that you've had for a long time. But he was talking about a chap who really needed to lose some weight. And that's usually the thing, but I think it's, it's, a, it's bigger than that. It's getting good food because I think some diet programs cut out major food groups or yeah. they, they don't really focus on nutrition to so eating low fat stuff, which maybe isn't very good for you as well. But this chap was like, he's like, I want to lose weight. Yeah. Because of my health, but I eat my fried breakfast every morning. And she would, and the lady that was, he was under said, well, okay, I'm not going to stop you doing that. But what I'm going to ask you to do is when you have your fried breakfast, I want you to really take your time and notice the things uh, about like the sausages that you're eating and how they taste and the texture of the egg and stuff like that. And I know that this wouldn't work for absolutely everybody, but he said that he found like, because he was taking his time and the food was getting cold, he was noticing a lot more the fat that it was cooked in and the fat on it. And he felt like, you know, he wasn't eating all of it that he was eating it before. So with you talking about fried foods, um, because there is a link with fried foods and trans fats. And again, fried foods, obviously fried foods, but trans fats are the fats that are found in biscuits and cakes and pastries they've been chemically changed Mm -hmm. so not only do they raise your bad cholesterol and lower your good cholesterol that also comes along with increased anxiety and damage to the brain and nervous system right because the more fried foods basically deliver a very high uh concentrated of calories to the body which not only does it reduce the efficiency of your digestion but also because of the waste that your body's having to cope with, your brain has to mop it up. And that's where you can get long-term damage, which again can lead to mood alteration, cognitive decline, and you know ultimately dementia, which as we know is massively on the increase. Mm. And I do believe that in my opinion, I think there's a big link with dementia and the increase of people with alzheimer's and their you know the food they're putting in the body yeah i don't i don't like the idea of my brain having to mop up the grease and the fat i know i don't like that image at all and i do it's funny that because i've noticed i mean a treat for me would be fish and chips yeah um which i probably once every couple of years but when you first get that piece of fish and you think oh great and it doesn't take me very long before I think, actually, I mm, don't think I want any more because it's started to go cold. And you suddenly realise that it is tastes really, I mean, it tastes lovely initially, but then it's, you can taste the grease and you can see it and you just don't want to eat it the same. Mm. Yeah, and it's a, it's a big mind shift, isn't it? Especially if that's something that you're kind of used to. I, I did find when I first joined Slimming World, I'm not advocating this, but we I swapped to using fry light a lot and cutting them out down the amount of oil. I don't do that anymore because I don't really know what is in fry light. 
But I did notice that when I get, went out for meals, just the amount of oil that was used in restaurants and um, and in cooking elsewhere, and it merely makes you uh, aware of it. But I still think, like you know, that there's good kind of oils that you can use, better oils Absolutely. that you can use. Yeah. But also monitor. I mean, everything in moderation. Don't you know? Measure it out if you if you want them to lose weight because there is a lot of calories in it. Um, so what about Jenny like what about people who don't cook because I think it's a lot easier to get these good foods in if you cook and you know you're not buying stuff that has like a, a an ingredients list as long as you're on but what about people who who don't cook or are busy what could you recommend for them to improve their their diet and their mood if anything uh, I'm afraid on this one it's I would need to really talk to the individual but I think there's small tweaks that you can change I mean my first question would be for people who don't cook um what are they eating because they must be eating something are they just eating takeaways all mm-hmm. the time and takeaways generally are full of all sorts of additives and thing chemicals that aren't particularly very nice they've often got sweeteners and things in them which again these are all very inflammatory to the body they're very inflammatory to the gut and you have been known to cause issues, mental health issues like anxiety, depression. There's a definite link with food additives, processed food, refined food with mental health. So what I would suggest to people that don't like to cook is, is it a time factor? I'd ask them, is it a time factor? Is it that you don't know what to cook? Mm-hmm. Um, how about you start... if because obviously if they're listening to this, they're interested in trying to make a few changes. How about the thought of cooking one meal a week from scratch and building it up from there and using fresh produce? I mean, I don't know if that sounds ridiculous, but you have to start somewhere. And what you have to remember is that it's baby steps. If you say to people, right, you can't do this and you can't do that, they'll just completely fall off the wagon. So for people who don't like to cook maybe try and get a few recipes and give it a go if you're really not wanting to do that there's quite a few companies now that will send you meals you've got to put all the ingredients together but they're all they're fresh I mean they're not cheap cheap but I do know quite a few families who go to the company I'm trying to think what they're called there's one Uh, really we used one a while ago it was called hello fresh Hello Fresh, yes, yeah. that's it. There's Gusto, I think, and there's another one I yeah. got Parsley Box. Yes, yeah. And actually they're not they're not expensive. Um, the people I know who've used them and use them on a regular basis have all said that, you know, by the time you've got the ingredients and then you've thrown the meal together, there's no wastage. And mm-hmm. if you take it per meal, I mean takeaways are expensive. Yeah. Buying ready-made meals are expensive. It's making the what you might perceive as a difficult job. I I don't know how to cook. I don't know what to do. Da, 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 da. And I believe you can you have many options. And you select it, and they send you a week's food, but you have to prepare them yourself. Yeah, and I think also for people, it's it's asking for help, and that's what the good thing about joining some sort of club to do that with. So whether you're joining one to lose weight, like Swimming World, I I learned lots and picked up lots of recipes from other people because everybody's really enthusiastic about it. Or whether there was like I remember Cheshire East were doing like some cookery courses, free cookery right. courses that you could go on, and they did like they did a curry week. 
which, which which is great so you're cooking all your curry from kind of from scratch so if if you are stuck it's it's asking people because people around you will help you but also remembering that everybody's tastes are different as well aren't they Absolutely. so something that i might consider is tasty somebody else might be like oh that's blooming horrible so it's just trialing trial and error isn't it and trying a few things yeah you can you can all, find so many cookery videos online as well, just if you're, if you're a little bit unsure. But interestingly, if you start to retrain your palate by looking at what you're eating, for instance, you're going to reduce the amount of sugar that you're going to take or eat. By cutting back on the sugar, as you change, your gut changes. And as you're feeding up, we call it, you know, the good microbes with a healthy diet, eventually... It does silence the messages and the cravings that you probably might have been previously experiencing. And after a while, you'll get different messages. So your cravings and things will change. It's just taking that initial step. And as we've said, everybody's taste is different. But you will notice if you start to change the way you eat and what you eat and eat more fresh products, your taste will change and your cravings will change. Yeah, that's something that I found. I found that because I did an an anti-inflammatory diet. and I know you've kind of touched upon that a little bit. But I mean, it was quite full on. You know, we were cutting out things like Liz and I have talked about this in the podcast before, like sugar, caffeine, because caffeine can affect anxiety as well as alcohol can affect it as well. We cut cut out dairy, which isn't a problem for me because I'm vegan. Um, And gluten for a while, all different steps. But then I found like the first few weeks after I'd cut them out, I was like, I, I'm not craving that stuff. Yeah. I mean, it, it was hard at the first because sugar's as addictive as any other drug. But then afterwards I was like, I, you know, I'm not, I'm not craving it. I, I, I don't miss it. I'd rather, I'd rather cut it out completely, I think, than just have a bit here and there. I mean, every, again, everybody's different, aren't they? Yeah. But there are certain, if you do have sweet cravings, I mean, one of the simple things you could do is get some very good quality dark chocolate, for instance, mm-hmm. dark not milk, which is high in cacao, which is a natural antioxidant. And for anybody that doesn't know, antioxidants are the things in good foods that help fight disease in your body, putting it simply. And there's various things in dark chocolate that stimulate channels in the brain to release endorphins. Uh So that's your body's pain relieving and pleasure feeling chemicals. I've got some dark chocolate in the fridge I'm just thinking about now. Yeah, and you'll find... (laughs) Most people can't eat a whole bar. Just one or two pieces will will help. And the other thing that's is sweet is, uh, which might help some people with sweet cravings, is honey. Instead of putting um, sugar, and please don't take sweeteners because they're really inflammatory to the body, and they're not retraining your body because you're still putting bodies perceiving sugar coming in, even though it's not. And actually, some of the uh, sweeteners are neurotoxins, so they're not good for the brain. But if you put honey in, it can have a really positive impact on your mood because it contains something that I can't really pronounce. It's called camphorol and also quercetin, which chemicals that help reduce inflammation in the brain and help prevent um, depression. So honey has a far less impact on your blood sugar levels um, than refined sugar does. So it basically means you won't get a big sugar crash. You know, sometimes if you eat refined sugar, you'll get a real high. Yeah, yeah, and the body releases a hormone um, called insulin, which comes in and quickly grabs hold of it, so you, to get your blood sugar down to a safe level. And unfortunately, it puts 
away the excess as that fat we call it fat around your tummy mm-hmm. that doesn't happen with with honey so it doesn't leave you feeling and also won't leave you feeling um tired often when you have sugar or refined carbs which break down into glucose in your body very quickly you then get a real crash that won't happen with honey as long would, as it's a good quality honey would maple syrup be the same or is that yes good? Yeah. yeah yeah i mean i i have honey in my coffee um and i did try make maple syrup the other day some organic maple syrup that i had in but it just didn't quite taste the same yeah. so it's back back to the honey i'm afraid but yeah it would would have the same effect i, I quite like eating dates as well for a bit of a sweet fix yes yeah yeah, yeah absolutely as my other half calls them like you said it's nature's fudge <laughs> that's what he calls them yeah actually yes yeah they are uh, very sweet very sweet yeah but Refined carbs and sugar are one one of the nasties that if you can start to eliminate, reduce from your body, that can only be a good thing. Because, again, it's, it's this helps create a not a good relationship with glucose, insulin, your blood sugar levels shooting up and then crashing down. And again, it goes into your body goes into an emergency mode. And if this is on a regular basis, this is when you get, you know, a bit of an aggressive stress response. Mm-hmm which you won't get if you substitute certain things with refined sugars like honey. Because honey is is anti-inflammatory, it does increase serotonin, which is the feel-good factor, and also dopamine in your body which is or brain. So it has got negative side effects of refined sugars. Mm -hmm. But it's still sweet. Yes. Yeah, absolutely. So, Jenny, before I ask out, where could people find you if they wanted a little bit more advice and help with their their diet? But what kind of things do you do to boost your mood food wise? What kind of things do you like to eat or cook? I didn't I didn't tell you I was going to ask you that. <laughs> well, see, I mean, there's lots of foods that are happy foods. One of the things I would like to touch on is when you because we were talking about fats before and bad fats, etc., being not good for you and very inflammable to your body and um, again a link with anxiety and depression but you do need good fats and good fats from things like avocados oily fish nuts and seeds and I think if you remember it's it's changing now but years ago everything was fat free it still is you can get fat free natural yogurt fat free this and fat free that it's sending out the wrong message because Good fats are very, very important for your brain. And again, the link with depression, etc. So foods like salmon, oily fish, um, sardines, they can all, they contain things called omega-3 fatty acids, mm-hmm. which are proven to improve your mood and alleviate mild depression. I have a lot of spinach. Again, leafy green veg, which are high in folic acid and vitamin K, which again, vitamin K is a, a fat, if you like, and this helps to maintain adequate levels of serotonin. And it also helps to um, regulate the reduction of hormones in the nervous system. Again, improving your mood, sleeping patterns, um, your response to physical exercise and stress. There's lots of foods that are, you know, that help you feel happy. Because we talked about blueberries last last time you were on. Yes. Yeah. yeah. Now, funnily enough, I was just, look, blueberries are really quite, um, they're full of something called anthocyanins, which is a type of polyphenol produced in plants and fungi. And it has been proven to help reduce symptoms of anxiety and depression. 
um, it is in the elderly, there's been various tests done and there was a study done on children that were fed a, a blueberry drink made from blueberries and their mood did improve. Now, in the elderly, there was no change in their mood, but it did improve their cognitive function. The anthocyanins is the thing that is the colour. in the, So the blueberry, that, that's what causes the colour. Mm -hmm. If you think of brightly coloured fruits and veg like peppers. They do, they do say know. to eat the rainbow as well, don't they? Yes, yeah. yes. Well, again, that's one of the, the sort of starting points of the rainbow diet. On your plate, you'd want at least 50% made up of fruit and veg. I mean, the old adage used to be the World Health Organization used to recommend five portions a day. It's now gone up to 10, mm -hmm. which I appreciate is difficult for some people to achieve. And some people would just say impossible. But again, by making small little tweaks and maybe the introduction of smoothies. You know, you can put a load of veg and fruit in the smoothie with some natural yogurts and you've got pretty much a drink with all your daily requirements. I'm not saying do that, by the way, but it's a good substitution <laughs> for a breakfast on the go. You know, if you could make it the night before or first thing in the morning, get up a little early and um, have a smoothie. And then you've got a healthy breakfast as long as you've got healthy things in it, for instance. Um, what what thing, some other foods that will make us happy, Janie? Okay, well, you've got chicken and turkey, which contain um, several amino acids, which one of the things they've got in them is tryptophan, which helps to make serotonin, which is, again, is the happy feeling. So poultry, chicken and turkey. One thing I would say is don't overindulge because it can make you feel a bit sluggish because it works as a, a building block for dopamine. So it can make you a little bit sluggish, but I think you'd have to eat an awful lot of it. Brazil nuts, which have got a nutrient in it called selenium, which is very good for boosting your mood, energy production and calming anxiety. Nuts and seeds, which have got lots of B vitamins in them. Again, very good for your nervous health. You need B vitamins for maintaining good nervous health, along with magnesium. And interestingly, there's a big link between people with mental health issues and vitamin and mineral deficiencies. Yeah. I've got a whole list of um, various vitamins and minerals which are essential to maintain good mental health. We've already mentioned the dark chocolate. Um, you've got things like chilies because they contain a natural compound called capsium. I think that's how you pronounce it. And it is what gives chili their heat. And um, when you eat something spicy, it attaches itself to the pain receptors in the brain and mucous membranes so that subsequently the brain thinks it's in pain and it releases endorphin, which again, feel good factor. What else? Uh, olive oil. It's vital that you have good fats for your brain to function properly. Yogurt, again, it's got probiotics in it. Pumpkin seeds, actually, they contain tryptophan and they're one of the uh, precursors. That's one of the precursors, sorry, for the production of serotonin. And interestingly, I mean, I, I roast... Sun, because there's so many vitamins and minerals in sunflower seeds and pumpkin seeds, I find them really delicious. If you roast them in an oven with a dash of um, soy sauce, mm -hmm. and what's the other thing I put in? What's Worcestershire sauce? And oh, mix it all together. Yeah, I do actually put a bit of Himalayan salt on, but not too much because it'll make you thirsty. And they're a really delicious snack and full of nutrients, all of which will help with anxiety and depression. 
Mm-hmm. Co- coffee, again, that's two to three cu- up to two to three cups. It's a stimulant, but it also gives you a boost of happiness. But again, I wouldn't go more than three cups. Um, mushrooms, they've got, um, they're also rich in selenium. And there has been research done that there is a, a link with the deficiency of this mineral with depression and anxiety and fatigue. And also, as we've already mentioned, it's the only plant source of vitamin D. Um, and again, deficiency is being linked with low mood and depression. Um, yeah, green tea, actually, that also has been found to improve levels against psychological stress. People who drank four to five cups regularly every day, 20% were found to have a lower rate of depression. Ooh. I can't think if that's the right terminology rate, but I think you get yeah. my drift. So there's, there's, there's a wide range of different things that people can try. And I suppose, again, everybody's different. So it's just maybe, and I haven't talked about this in, in week in our happy, happy theme, because I think this is a bit too much about keeping a food diary and noticing, um, you know, changing your diets and how that's affecting your mood might be something that you could also do as well. And score it with your mood, your foods and what your mood was then like. Absolutely. Coming to the end of our podcast now. So I just wanted to ask you about if, if people wanted to know more or get some help and advice from you about their diet, how, how could they find you uh, or are there other sites that people can go and look up some of the information that you talked about? By all means, feel free to email me, um, janie.bishop1, um, as in the number, at icloud.com. But there is lots of really good um, books. I mean, I'm a sort of book person rather than too much on the computer, but there's very interesting writer called Amelia Freer. She's oh, yes. very good about. You've lent um, me some of her books. Yeah, yeah. Doctor, I mean, most people. Well, no, not most people. A lot of people have heard of Dr. Michael Mosley. Um, he was the five-two diet, and again, there's a. He does recommend, as I do, sort of intermittent fasting. Fasting. I know we're going to be talking about this at a later stage, but. Yeah basically reducing the period of time that you ingest food because it helps improve your metabolic markers um, could help with weight loss it reduces your blood sugars it leads to improvements in the lining of your gut boosts the health of your microbiome because obviously digestion if you give your body a break from digestion it helps repair your gut it also allows time for all the toxins and chemicals and every other nasty thing get eliminated from your body and then you start again having 10 the recommendation i think is 12 to 14 hours of fasting but again it depends on the individual um because some people wouldn't be able to cope with that and you know you've really got to watch your blood sugars etc etc because it's important to keep those balanced at the same time you could do that overnight though couldn't you i mean absolutely yeah anti-inflammatory diet she said make sure there's like a 12 hour gap between when you have your last meal of the day and your breakfast yeah. definitely achievable for people yeah so thank you so much for coming back on our podcast Janie I hope it's been useful for people you know I I feel like we've only just started <laughs> I know I've got various tangents but I hope it has been um helpful and I'm more than happy to elaborate on any anything a lot of what I've talked about is all um it's backed up with references so there is scientific evidence behind what I've said 
Yeah, and I, I also think, I know that you'll be coming on our Zoom session on Sunday as well. A few people have got some questions for you. But, I mean, it is a massive subject and, um, you know, we could we could talk for, for another half an hour, an hour, or even, even longer about it. But there, there is so much things to consider, but there is so much more that I've learned recently from having you on our podcast in the first time to, to doing more research online as well. So, so thank you for I'm, trying to summarise uh, as much as you can for us today. I think the one thing I'd leave people with is try to reduce, try to look at what you're eating and what you're putting in your mouth, just like you look at what you're putting in your car. You wouldn't put rubbish oil and petrol in your car because you know it's not going to work. Same with your body and eat as much fresh food as you can and get as many vegetables and fruit into your body as possible too, because yeah. that's what helps with your immune system mm-hmm. and brain health. Yeah, that makes sense. Definitely. Oh, au naturel. Exactly. I know it's hard or it's, we're out of the habit, but it's, it's something for people to start thinking about, particularly if they want to make some tweaks. And I know for myself, because I have suffered with anxiety and depression, and surprisingly, it just doesn't come into my world very, very rarely these days. I am convinced it's because of what I eat and also some of the supplements I take. That's 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 really good to hear. I'm sure people will be interested to to know to know about that, that you've been able to control some of that with your diet and oh, completely. By supplementing it. Yeah. yeah, I'm convinced by it. Fabulous. Well, thank you ever so much, Janie. And okay. I, I, I shall speak to you again on Sunday. When you okay. Come Zoom. All right. I'll look forward to it. Thanks, Kedron. Thank you. Bye. You're listening to The Happiness Hub, part of the Redshift Community Podcast Network with me, Liz Parkin. And me, Kedron Elliott. Every episode, we'll share top tips on how to get happy and stay happy. So listen in, get involved and be happy.